Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. A church that exists to make, train, and send disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. Practice and engage in global mission support by just being here and exercising generosity. Now, let's keep in mind that we are a generous people. God's people, Christians, are to be generous people because we recognize that we are recipients of the radical generosity of God, forgiveness through Christ, okay? And so the fact that we have been made to become recipients of radical generosity, we too practice generosity, and God uses the generosity of his people and some incredible ways to go about advancing his kingdom. So one way in which we do this is by giving to the work of the International Mission Board, okay? Um, so, so the Lottie Moon Christmas offering during the season of Advent is a special offering that we take up each week. At the end of our service, you're going to have an opportunity to give. There's going to be a couple of people at the back doors with baskets. Anything that you put in there is going to be sent to the International Mission Board to support the work of global missionaries serving Christ and advancing the kingdom, okay? There's a way that you can give online. If you go to our our website, you can give online, you can tithe online, or you can give to support the work of the International Mission Board, okay? So here's what I want us to do. We're going to give this a try. We are gluttons for punishment around here, okay? And so we're going to see if it works this week. We're trying to share stories with you about the work that's being done through organizations like the International Mission Board. Why should you give? Well, we have, again, been recipients of the generosity of God, but this is a a, a way in which we are able to see the work that's being accomplished through this organization. So let's let's give it a try. Let's watch this, uh, and then let's let's move forward and give. Yeah, our generosity transforms lives, right? We've seen stories uh, about this and and of this work over over recent weeks. And so, again, um, the encouragement is to, as God's people, to lean in, right? To recognize the need for gospel multiplication in the world and to see this little piece uh, of opportunity, this opportunity that you and I have to lean in and to be a part of the work. God desires that his people would live lives to reflect his heart. God's heart is for the gospel expanding out and reaching people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so um, let's, let's consider even now what it looks like for us to do our part as this small, young baby church here planted on the campus of West Georgia to reach the nations with the gospel. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 5 this morning. I hope that you are, uh, I hope that you're there. Um, five verses that we are going to look at. It's a bit of a, a new series for us in that we are typically working our way sequentially through books. We, we love exposition. We love approaching God's word and, and working through it, beginning in the, the, the first chapter there of a book or letter and working our way through its entirety. We have bounced around a little bit during this season of Advent, but I do feel like that it's been, it's been profitable. It's allowed us to, to kind of recognize scope and theme in various places, all connected through this plan of God to redeem and rescue sinners. Paul's letter to the Romans is a beautiful letter. 
it's a it's a beautiful work and um, it is is so encouraging and and theologically rich for the believer as we gather. But if you're here this morning and you find yourself as a skeptic to the faith, asking questions, man, Paul does an incredible job at at hammering home some gospel basics for us here in this in this book. We stand in a new relationship with God through faith. We stand in a new relationship with God through faith on the basis of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. We find ourselves, and this is a truth that is reiterated over and over again here in these, these five short verses of Romans chapter 5. We find ourselves at peace with God. We find ourselves reconciled to God under his favor and assured of his love. These are all themes that are, that are prevalent and present here in these, in these few verses. Picture for the morning, what are we working towards a, a deeper comprehension of, a deeper understanding of as we study Romans 5 verses 1 through 5? In love, in love, God makes peace, saving and transforming sinners, resulting in real cause for great Joy. Three short, simple observations that we're going to work through this morning. Number one, God gifts peace through Christ. God gifts peace through Christ. Number two, God clarifies the purpose of suffering in Christ. And then finally, God pours hope into the human heart through his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul majors in the gospel. This is the way that one writer summarizes Paul's first four chapters in his letter to the Romans. A letter that details our need for Christ and his centrality. Paul writes in Romans 1 verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is... The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As we transition into chapter 5, these first two verses make it ever more clear that God gifts peace and he does so through the person and work of Christ. Look with me there at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we what? We have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does something beautiful here in these introductory verses to the fifth chapter in his letter to the Romans. Paul unpacks the legal standing of the Christian through faith and their new condition. Let me say that one more time. Paul unpacks the legal standing of the Christian through faith and their, our, your new condition. Justified and righteous. Justification as it has been defined previously, God's reckoning or accounting of Christ's righteousness to sinners. That is to say that that God looks upon the sinless life of Jesus. 
and his righteous sacrifice for those who are wayward and rebellious. And he credits through faith the righteousness of Christ into our lives. It happens not through one's ability to dress themselves up. Right? This, this happens not through one's ability to read God's word and apply it to our lives. For example, God clearly cares for the poor and the oppressed. God clearly cares for the orphan and the widow. Therefore, I care for these people. And if I can do that, then the gap that exists between where I am and where God is will narrow. If I do this really well, then it will eventually close altogether, allowing me to approach the Lord in order to receive his forgiveness. This is not the way that it works. This is not what the gospel says. Instead, as Paul alludes to here, the righteousness of Christ is credited to sinners through faith. Paul touches on this point again in Romans chapter 3, verses preceding where we find ourselves this morning, leading to what we see here as he writes. There is no distinction. Observing people groups and and individuals from different tribes. There is no distinction, Paul writes. (coughs) For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God... Himself put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received, not by work, but by faith. This, Paul writes, was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in who? In Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting, Paul asks. I love the way that Paul traces through our own own thoughts as we read his writings here. Then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Amen. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. God has committed himself in this way. To justify sinners through what? Through faith. It's not a new concept. This is not a a new idea. This is not not groundbreaking as we come into Romans chapter 5. But instead it is a theme that runs through the entirety of scripture. A theme that runs throughout human history. Old Testament saints rescued Not by work, but by grace through faith and the promises of God fulfilled in their totality 
through Christ. We're reconciling Old Testament here. All right, what we're doing is we're establishing a basis for understanding God's word to justify and to redeem and to rescue. Regardless of what testament we find ourselves in, it's not to be confusing, but God has committed himself to this work from the beginning. New Testament saints rescued by grace through faith in the promises of God fulfilled in their totality through Christ. Romans 5 says this. Romans 5 says says this to the Christian. You no longer live under fear of judgment. But now, you know the feeling as well as the, the, the object reality of freedom in Christ. Now, there is a, an intentional distinction that we are drawing out here, and the intent is important. We're distinguishing between the feeling of freedom and the object reality of our freedom. The simplest way to tease this out is as follows, right? The reality of our freedom in Christ provides hope for the Christian when he or she does not feel free. That's the distinction, right? Right, that we, there is this object reality that exists even when the feeling is absent. The reality of one's freedom. Well, God says that I'm free, but it feels as though I am anything but. Have you ever said this to yourself? Have you ever felt this? In fact, not only do I not feel free, but I feel captive. I feel captive to my, to my emotions. I feel captive to my my anxieties, my anger, my unforgiveness, my bitterness, my sin, my circumstance. Have you ever said this? Of course. Of course you have. Paul encourages his reader toward the following point. And this is so very important. In Christ, you live in freedom. Whether you feel free or not. If that's true, then we can say together that sin does not master the Christian. We can say and affirm together that sin does not define the Christian. We can say that that sin does not dictate the future for the Christian. No. Christ does that. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, Christ, who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I mean, the gospel says that Jesus has taken your death at the cross. The gospel says that, that he has taken your bondage, that he has taken your rebellion, that he took it on himself, your punishment. So that the reality of your freedom might shape your feeling as opposed to your feeling shaping your perception of reality. Reality. 
I feel like you're upset. Has anybody ever said that to you before? They just like look at you, right? And they're like, I feel like you're angry. I feel like something is off. To which you respond, no, man, everything is, is totally fine. I'm just tired or I'm hungry or I've been working all day and I'm just like not in the mood to talk. I just want to chill. I want to say, I want to say nothing. Well, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure that, that nothing is wrong? I just feel like something is wrong to which we respond. Nothing is wrong. Okay. But something's about to be wrong. Okay. If this, if this line of, of questioning continues, John Piper said it like this. He said, your feelings are not God. God is God. And so if that's true, then, then Christian, take heart, right? When, when the enemy and those under his reign speak to you of your sin, you tell him no. You remind him that he has no say in the matter because Christ, the incarnate son of God, the beloved who takes on flesh and enters into the chaos of the human condition has claimed you that you belong to him. Man, as as Christians, we stand in the blessing of the Lord. We stand, rest and sit in forgiveness Look with me at verse two. Paul continues on. He says this. He says, through him, (coughs) excuse me, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, Paul writes. It's at this point that I feel like we need to shift. The feeling of the room needs to shift. We rejoice. Christian, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is Paul saying here? He's saying this. He says, whereas we once stood in opposition to God, we now enjoy as result of our justification, faith, grace, an altogether new position. Right? That the, that the Christian has obtained access by faith in Christ to a new state. What's another way to say this? Well, we have obtained as Christians access by faith in Jesus, a new home. We've obtained access by faith in Christ, a new address. This is the central theme within Paul's letter to the Colossians. A people of Adam who know what it is like to live as aliens and hostiles to God's kingdom. A people who, much like you and I, remember our state prior to faith in Christ. Do you remember your state? Do you remember your condition? The condition of all people. Apart from the compassion of Jesus, the kindness of Christ who calls us out of darkness and into his light. 
This is where we were. This is where we, where we were, and perhaps this is your position this morning, skeptical of the faith. Believing in your own goodness, a God without ears or a mouth to save you. Christmas says that there is a purpose greater than presence in this season for sinners. Amid human rebellion, God, rich in mercy, persistent, patient, And long-suffering enters into the world as he prepares her to respond to his call out of hopelessness and hostility and into fellowship, friendship, and family. He moves us and then he perfects us. And so we're tracing the the process here, right? He, He moves us. He saves us. He reconciles us by way of faith in Jesus. He says, this is your state. This is your condition. This is your address. But I am taking you captive. Right? I'm, I'm taking you by the heart and I am rescuing you. I'm transforming the relationship. And now I commit myself to the work of your perfection. God is perfecting us. God is perfecting us towards a state of eternal glory at the last day. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that God is not finished with the Christian at the moment of salvation. That God is not finished with us, but is intentionally through our circumstances moving us toward his desired end, which is what? What is God's desired end? Where is he taking me? Have you ever asked this question? Surely to goodness you have. God, what are we doing and where am I going? What is your goal? And how does your goal inspire and inform understanding and purpose of life? Here's what God's doing. You want a little insight? Here's the answer. I've asked you the question and now I give you the answer, right? What a great test. God's desire for the life of his people is Christ-likeness. Conformity into the image of his son to make us look less and less like us and to look more and more like Jesus. That's the goal of God in the life of the Christian. And within this, he does some really beautiful and incredible things like like empower us and commission us to go and be about this work with other people, to other people. Rescuing sinners and then bringing them into this plan of, of conformity into the image of his son. This is what he's doing. This is the way that he works. And the result is this. The result is worship. And the result is worship. This is why we were created. Did you know that? This is why we we were created. This is why we are. Uh, this is why we're here. This is what we're all searching for. Someone or something that we can give ourselves to. Some give themselves to work, right? Maybe that's you. Maybe you identify with that, right? You, you pour yourself out towards the accomplishing of this task that for whatever reason has been made totally separate from the divine as though it is the end and of itself. And for others, it's a relationship 
friendships or significant others. For others, perhaps it is children. This is true of all of us, right? This is true of, of, of all of us, whether we recognize it or not. We were created to worship and enjoy God in Christ. In Christ, God satisfies his justice. In Christ, God satisfies his judgment so that as sinners look to Christ in faith, there is an established peace. That's what Paul is is drilling home here in his letter to the Romans. Chapter 5. We are made to worship God and to enjoy these other things in the way that we were intended to. And it's all pleasing to God. The peace that you long for. Right, the peace that you desire is found, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, through Christ. Observation number 2. The purpose of our sufferings are clarified in Christ. What Paul says in verses 3 and 4, follow along with me. Verse 3, not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Elephant, right, in the room. This is a totally countercultural approach to suffering. It's a totally countercultural approach to hardship. This is a totally countercultural approach to difficulty. But it's a gospel approach. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, that it's purposeful, that there is intent. And endurance produces character. And character, Paul writes, produces hope. What a sobering reality, amen? I mean, what a sobering reality that trusting Christ will result in suffering. At the same time, though, At the same time, it is satisfying to know that God is working with great intentionality through our circumstances to move us toward his desired end, which is what? We just said it. Christ-likeness. This means that our sufferings play an important role in the plan of God for our lives. This means that our, our suffering is not defined primarily as tragedy. Did you catch that? That's very different. It forms the language that we use when we experience hardship. I mean, this past week, I was listening to a sermon, I believe from 2000. Let me give you a little bit of context. I was having a conversation with a, with a group of guys around the table about this this past week. In fact, a number of who were going with us to a conference uh, over urging them to go back and listen to a particular sermon that was that was preached at a one-day event in Memphis, Tennessee, if I remember correctly. One that set a generation ablaze, speaking towards and, and identifying purpose, purposeful suffering. One that challenges the, the status quo. Paul 
Christian to embrace a life of, of difficulty and hardship, not looking for ease or comfort, but instead desiring obedience and God's glory. This is what we're trying to see happen. This is what we're desiring to see happen within his people, that our comfort would become secondary. That what's easy would, would become secondary. And what would lead the way is joy Christ and this comprehension of, of Christ-like transformation within you and through hardship. And in the sermon, he was talking about a um, he was talking about two older women who were uh, they were of, of retirement age, which typically, right? Even if you're a Christian, you go, man, I'll labor pretty hard during my during my working years, and then I hang up my missionary boots and I pass it off to a younger generation, and I just like hang out, right? Leave it to leave it to the young folks to figure it out. Pass along wisdom, of course, but in terms of involvement, not so much leaned in. And he was talking about this, these two women who were, were serving the Lord and the people of a particular country overseas into their 80s. They were from their church. And listen to this. Okay, the story gets even better. They were, they were away serving the Lord on this medical mission. And while they were there, they were, they were traveling through the mountains. And at a certain point, while going downhill, right, uh, the brakes gave out. And they proceeded to careen off the mountain to their death. And he was talking about, in in the sermon, he's talking about how like, man, is that a tragedy? We hear that, right? And then the temptation is to go, man, that is tragic. And his challenge was this. No, what is tragic is to spend our lives by wasting them. What's tragic is is to walk before the Lord. One day and to, and to boast of our golf game that had improved in our years. That is tragic. It's not a, not a tragedy. Certainly a look at the back of the tapestry. God's sovereignty. His purpose, the way in which he, he works, which doesn't always make sense to us. Certainly there are wicked and evil events that we witness in this very broken world. But what we understand through the purpose of our suffering, this transformed perspective of of the work of God purposely in our suffering, is that our approach is made to look altogether different. Our faith, the Christian faith, answers the question of why. Our suffering produces endurance, and our endurance, character, and character, hope. Whereas the world would say there is, for the Christian, the problem of pain. Have you ever heard that before? Like, if God is so good, why is everything so broken? Why is everything so bad? C.S. Lewis wrote an entire book. (laughs) It's short. I would encourage you to read it. called The Problem of Pain. The Christian can say to the world amid this, man, there is purpose in pain. Paul is, is constructing this reality here for the, the Romans and for you and I. Step by step, transformation through suffering, resulting in verse three, joy. 
resulting in joy. As Christians, we rejoice in suffering, not because it is pleasant, let's be not confused, but because our faith causes us to look to Christ in suffering. We don't give in to fear or frustration. We don't complain or bemoan. And as a result, our faith is made even stronger. Man, seasons of suffering are intended by God to strengthen our faith in the same way in which fire strengthens steel. Ray Orland, the pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, former pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, said it like this. He said, if you are in Christ and you are suffering, God does not hate you. <laughs> okay. Like don't, don't think that God hates you. And therefore like that is why like said season is happening. If he did, he wouldn't bother with you. Instead, God is getting you ready with some finishing touches. Each one a master stroke. We look to Jesus and our faith is fortified. We look to Jesus and and our faith is fortified. We are prepared through suffering to endure greater suffering that makes possible endurance through greater suffering as you and I are made to resemble the one who entered into his creation, suffering and saving it. There's purpose in this, Wofford's. There's purpose. The testing of one's faith through suffering serves to authenticate it, right? It shows that it's real. We can know that our faith is real and it's not generational or inherited, but genuine as God carries his people along through suffering. We follow a king who though sinless endured the greatest amount of suffering possible as it was inflicted upon him, not solely or even primarily by men, but the father who for our sake took joy in crushing him. Consequently, we ought to expect That as we are made to look more and more like our king, that we would experience suffering. Strengthened by the spirit, verse 5, who is poured into our hearts in love. The purpose that you are searching for is found in Christ. Third and final observation. The love of God through the presence of the Spirit. God's Spirit gives to us the love of God in abundance. This is the normal yet glorious life of gospel faith. He is given to the Christian as evidence of God's love. God who who narrows his focus. Who, who, who narrows his focus upon undeserving sinners, taking hold of the heart and lovingly drawing them into this state of peace. God has loved and he has called you. 
He has opened your eyes to your sin and his cure. Perhaps he is even now opening your eyes to your sin and his cure. The law of God confronts us with our failure, whereas the gospel speaks over the sinner, a glorious declaration of the mighty acts of God when he invaded this earth in the person of his eternal son, the Lord Jesus. Paul says this in verse five, he says, the spirit is given in love. He bears witness of the quality and the consistency of God's love. He is with us always. Think about what that means. It means this, it means that God does not give the spirit at one point only to call him away at another. No, this is the way that that we love. This is the way that we oftentimes act. This isn't the way that God loves. This isn't the way that God acts. If it were, what would it say about Christ? Well, it would say that he is a, a liar. It would say that he is, that he is faithless. Rest assured, however, this is not who Christ is. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Know this this morning. As you consider your, your, your transferred position, your new neighborhood, your new address, As you consider your transformed condition, the fact that you at one time were a rebel of God and now you have been brought into fellowship and friendship with him. Consider this, the the spirit of God is a testimony of the forever love of God. When you find yourself questioning this point, does God love me? Does he care for me? Is he here for me? Does he want what is good for me and glorifying to himself? The spirit answers in these moments of distress, yes. He says, look at me, right? Feel my comforting presence. I'm with you and thus you can know without a shadow of a doubt amid all the noise that you are loved and never forsaken. The incarnation of Christ reminds us of these realities. Romans 5, 1 through 5 is not not devoid of the incarnation of Christ and its purpose, but instead it serves to, to bring Increased understanding to what God is accomplishing by way of the entrance of his son into the world. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God loves and God rescues. Merry Christmas. God purposes our suffering. He loves us and and he cares for us. He keeps us. And all of this serves to inform our understanding of who Jesus is. This faithful, perfect representation of the character of our God. As we look to the Advent candles, right? We light them and then they they sit over there on the table. But let's not forget about them. 
we see this, this ever-present reminder of the tangible, faithful character of God. Hope, peace, joy, and love made available to wayward, wretched sinners because God purposes to save and to sustain. As the band comes up to lead us in a song, as we close, I want to remind us of a a few intentional elements of the close of our service each week. We come as the people of God to the table. We go to a box and we, and we give, we respond to the gospel. Is this ever more practical than during the Christmas season? The sun going, entering into the world. The son ascending back to the right hand of the father following resurrection, his glorious resurrection, amen, from the dead. Promising to return again for his people. He is faithful. He will judge wickedness and he will restore this place. He will put an end to all suffering and sadness. There is a finish line. The advent of our king, his return, and our rescue. As we come to the table, we are reminded that these are are tangible, real realities. They're not just concepts. But as we come this morning, let us be intentional. Let us consider what it means for us to enjoy this meal that was given to us by Christ to point us towards and remind us of what he has done and what is before us, a real meal with our very real king and a very restored creation. We look forward with longing and expectation. This, this informs the way that we go. Let's consider these truths. Celebrating, celebrating our resurrected King. Man, what good news. What glorious news that we stand in need of being reminded of this season. Let's pray together.